This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. The underpinning of many of the episodes that we talk about discuss how do you effectively speak to your doctor to get the care that you need. So in today's episode, I interview Christy Van Horn, who is the founder of, wait for it, How to Talk to Your Doctor. So before we dive in, a couple of announcements. One, I can't always cover everything that I would like to in the podcast episode, so I do post a lot on social. You can follow me there at Health. Additionally, if you like this episode, please do rate it and write a review because that's how we can ensure this gets at the top of the playlist for the women who want it most. Additionally, I do have products that are mentioned in my podcast episode, so you can go to my shop, which you can find on my website, fempower-health.com. So without further ado, let's talk to Christy Van Horn. Well, thank you for having me. I am very excited. I love the topics that you cover on the podcast, so it's an honor to be here. I am a public health consultant, so I consult for a lot of national health organization focused on learning and health education solutions, uh, curriculum development toolkits, and so on. A little over a year ago, I started to really address health literacy in the, in the sense and, and in the relationship between the provider and the patient, uh, really aiming to improve the patient-doctor relationship. So I wrote a curriculum and a series of workshops for both healthcare professionals and patients to help improve that relationship because we really lack in communication skills um, on both sides. And I think particularly for patients, where in life do we learn how to talk to our doctor? You know, it's a, it's a valid question. <laughs> There's no one really. Yeah. Never. You're right. Never. <laughs> how, how to best. And our, our, you know, our medical system is so complex and complicated that, yeah, I, I saw, I saw a need and decided that's the great thing about being an entrepreneur, right? You can take your business in whatever direction yep. you, you want to. So yeah, I started creating these workshops and I have a blog as well for, for patients to help um, them navigate, navigate the, the system. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's so interesting what you're saying, which is it's true. We're never taught how to talk to our doctor. It's really been go to your doctor. And when they say to do X, Y, Z, you just do it. And even last year I interviewed Dr. Allison McGregor and she's a, um, an ER doctor, I believe the she's cardiologist? a cardiologist. Um, is she a cardiologist? I thought she's an ER doctor. She Allison, is- if I, for- if I messed it up, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, but I think she did a Ted talk on her. Yes, she yes, did. Yes, she did. She's yes. Amazing. She's an ER doctor though. Yes. 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 She is amazing. And when COVID is over, I'm totally going to go visit her. Um, Ooh, can she- I come? 
<laughs> totally. Like we can make it a, a women's health advocate party over and drinks Yay. session. No, she, she's truly amazing. And, and, you know, one of the things she said in many of the doctors on the podcast that I've interviewed is gone are the days of doctor knows best. And you really need to be your own advocate. And so I really wanted to talk to you specifically because it, it comes out um, either directly or indirectly in the podcast that we women just need to figure out how to navigate the doctors. But to your point on it being both sides, I do want um, the listeners to understand this too, is doctors have told me that they don't always know. Like the most mm -hmm. fascinating thing I heard, and I'd love your reaction to this, is when a doctor said, we don't always know the level of detail a patient asks, insinuating that if the patient doesn't ask, they just assume they don't want to know the details. And I was surprised by that, but I am kind of learning that there are different types of patients who want to know different aspects of the information. But then when you get to the sensitive topics like sexual health, forget about it. They're doctors are definitely not taught. They're taught. This is what it is and how yeah. you treat it, but not how do you actually talk to your patients about it? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's important to acknowledge you're right. The, this complex system. So talk to us. Communication skills are, are necessary, right? So we have to have these these communication skills, but we also have to, and I think this is going to probably what a lot of the other providers, and it sounds like you've had some really great uh, proactive providers on the podcast, but patients are also their own experts. What I like to say is that patients are experts on themselves and doctors are experts in medicine. And what we need is a partnership between the two. And there are doctors out there that are willing to see medicine as a partnership. It's not always easy to find those doctors. When we think about this as, as a paradigm shift where we start to see medicine as more of a, a partnership between two people, instead of this authoritative figure, when you walk into your doctor's office and, and feel like they're the ones with all the answers, they're not always because they don't necessarily, they need all the information from you to do their job. And they don't always have all the answers, especially in our specialized medical system. Uh, you know, we have so many specialists these days, which can also cause complications when it, it comes to diagnosis and getting the care that we, we need and we deserve. No, absolutely. And two, the other thing on, I'm seeing on the podcast too is some of these overlapping symptoms. So when you were talking about the specialist, I'm like, yeah, like if you look at PCOS and thyroid disease and endometriosis, there's a few symptoms that are common amongst all of them. So, absolutely, you know, and then we do know that women, some women will have multiple of these specific conditions. And so, you know, we're still trying to better understand how to diagnose a lot of these, especially PCOS and endometriosis. So we're here to learn from you. I mean, you, I think the benefit of you, and I learned this because I, I've been a consultant in the healthcare field for 10 years, is when you're working with a lot of different people, that's mm -hmm. when you have the true insight because you're seeing that perspective. And because you focus so much on, well, how to talk to your doctor, you can really see like where the gaps are and what people can do. And obviously people can get your course and we can put all that information in the show notes, but, you know, give us the cliff note version on what people should be doing and um, to be more effective. 
I'll start with some of the gaps that I see in, sure. in healthcare. Yeah. So I think part of the problem is that, especially when we're talking about women's health in particular, is that our society doesn't necessarily trust women in general, right? And inside of our doctor's offices, it's, there's no exception there. So some find it interesting that I and other experts link this history that link this problem to the history of hysteria. So while the history of hysteria dates back as far as ancient Egyptian times, uh, Freud made things worse for us in <laughs> stating that, that what Freud did is he took what was seen as a neurological problem, which had its own complications, but Freud took right. hysteria and defined it as a psychological problem. And doctors and experts will, you know, I like to say, blame him for this, this mentality of it's all in our heads. So that's where this idea originated. So women are seen as having a mental health disorder when they actually have a condition that needs to be diagnosed. Uh, women are more likely to be dismissed um, when they're presenting with heart conditions, endometriosis, as you've already mentioned. And even though hysteria was removed from the diagnostic manual all the way back in the 1950s, a lot of experts argue that mental health conditions like depression and anxiety quickly replaced hysteria as the catch-all diagnosis. And while women do obviously experience depression and anxiety. There's no question. We know the difference between when we're experiencing anxiety and depression and when something else is wrong. Like say we have a heart condition or anything, uh, pain, pain is a good example too. We're experiencing pain. So this is really kind of set this problem, um, it's, it's been very challenging to overcome this idea that we're crazy hypochondriacs or things are quote unquote, all in our heads. So yeah, Freud really screwed us over there <laughs> for oh lack my of God. You know, and it's term. funny as you're, yeah, <laughs> as you're talking, I'm thinking about, um, a book that I had read. It's called how healing works by Wayne Jonas. And Ooh. there's a sentence that I highlighted and I think he was an allopathic or MD and he then went into functional medicine and he had a statement in there of how medicine is not properly set up for success when it comes to chronic conditions. If it's acute, very easy. And when you think about it, like even Dr. McGregor in her book, Sex Matters, she talks about even the hysteria. So you have like heart condition. Yes. You know, women, it was only recently learned that women have heart conditions as frequently and maybe perhaps if not more than men yep. and the drugs were mostly studied in men and applied to women and women weren't believed they could have a heart attack. So what Absolutely. do you do when you're not believed and you go doctor to doctor, you scream because yeah. you're not being heard exactly. endometriosis 11 years to diagnose for many women. Yeah, and right. And up until recently, the only way to diagnose was laparoscopic surgery. Now there's diagnostic tools that indicate potential endo, not full diagnosis. So you still need the surgery, but like 
a lot of those women aren't believed, which is why it takes the 11 years. So of course exactly. people are going to be screaming. Of course they're going to have depression. I- yep, exactly. It leads to, I mean, being, going through the process for years of not being trusted, of not getting a diagnosis when you're experiencing any of the things that we've just discussed that often include pain, of course you're going to become depressed. I mean, who wouldn't? I, yeah, I, I think that that's a really great point. It's really unfortunate. I, I do think though, that we are, are making progress. Yes, we are. I hope. <laughs> we, no, we are like, I, I know. Mean, yeah. I, I interviewed Dr. Lara Bryden last year and she said that when she had published her book, probably now six years ago, period repair manual. And she said that it was a lot of debate to put the word period in the front. And now we're able to publicly talk about it. So I think the more we're able to say things like vagina instead yes. of and vulva, vajayjay. I, I, you know? <laughs> and I and have, I'm a big fan for vulva. <laughs> Call the vulva, the vulva, not the vagina. So <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Yes. We women still don't understand our body parts. Like, oh my, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. True. So you can see how all of this is perpetuated. So one of the, I guess, just, you know, diving more into the problems, I think it is important for us to set the stage and you're right in taking that step back, because I think it's important for all of us to understand the reality so that when we're in these situations, we're not like, why is everybody beating their head against a wall? Right. Yes. So I think of women's health as, as a funnel where the more I'm doing this podcast through my own health experience is you have women's health where at the top of the funnel, there's, you know, only recently our clinical trials adding women, Yeah. even though with the FDA mandate in 92, people still weren't doing it. They're still not analyzing the data the way they need to be. Right. And the dollars for the clinical trials aren't there. They're getting to be, but still not there. And at the end of the day, when you think about it, when you do a trial, it's driving for one endpoint, yet there's so many questions. Exactly. So we have a long way to go to get at the complexity. But then you go further down. So then we have not a lot of information. So therefore, you have to find the best of the best. And let's face it, a lot of the top doctors have stopped taking insurance. So what mm-hmm. happens when you're in a disparate population? And you know we know that the way training works, the types of things doctors are interested in, and a lot of complex dynamics, available resources to the doctors. I've seen doctors challenged by doing their job simply because of the hospital policies, not because of the doctor themselves. I mean, it's complex. So then you get to the disparate populations who don't have all the access and the discrimination that's involved. So can you talk to us about just this whole dynamic and, and what you've seen, and then maybe we can get to some solutioning. And if we have to do it by category, I mean, you're the expert here, you tell us how we should look at this. (laughs) That's where it becomes extremely complicated. And we have a ton of work within our society to do right to overcome these systemic barriers to care, which include health insurance, but also the addressing bias and discrimination in healthcare, and also the social determinants of health. So let's say there is a doctor. I mean, we're talking basic care at this point, right? So if I am a working black woman who is an an hourly worker, how do I take time off? I'm a single mom. How do I take time off to go to the doctor? And not to mention um, transportation is one of the biggest barriers to getting to a 
provider. We have to start accommodating for all of these things. And it happens in many ways. We need paid leave. We need a higher minimum wage. All of these things that people think, uh, they have such a direct relation to improving health for those people that need it the most. And it, there's these systemic problems, obviously, you know, it's the, the, the solutions are very complex. Uh, we're not going to see change overnight. And that's part of the reason that I started how to talk to your doctor, because I know that there's these huge systemic, I'm a public health professional. I have my MPH. This is what I study. I absolutely believe that we have to address these systemic problems. No question. But at the same time, change it at that level is very slow. I think that teaching people that, well, you know, here are a few things that you can do to make your experience better, or also continuing to send that message that you are your own expert, that you have to trust your body. And if something's wrong, you have to trust it and, and really encouraging people to seek care wherever they can. And I can talk a little bit about how to, you know, find a doctor um, who will work with you. Yeah, no, definitely. Let's do that. Talk okay. about it. Obviously try to talk to family members. It's one of the first family and friends. Also talk to current doctors that you already have to see if there's a specialist, if you're in need of a specialist. When you call a new doctor, I, I see the experience starting from the second you pick up the phone, right? So if the, if you get a bad feeling from the second you call a doctor's office, uh, if it's possible, you know, move on to the next. I also want to say that obviously this comes with a, you know, privilege. If I live in a rural area or I live in a, a place where I don't have transportation, I just, you know, we have to acknowledge the privilege that comes with trying to find another doctor. So that is absolutely clear. Uh, just another side note, I do hope that in future years that we're going to see a lot more around telehealth as far as um, offering more to more people, especially in rural areas. I think that that is one silver lining of COVID that we will see telehealth expanded in the future. And I do think that that will help people, especially with chronic who are man managing chronic conditions. But going back to, you know, finding a doctor who will work with you, just see it too. When you go into a doctor's office, see it as an interview. You are interviewing that doctor. If they, if it's, it doesn't feel right, it, it, it's not going to change the next time you go in. So make sure that you really center yourself, that you think of it as, as an interview. How did, how did you feel? Did you feel welcomed? Did the doctor ask you if you had questions? Did you feel rushed? Um, how were the frontline staff? How was the nurse? Uh, all of these things matter so much. And sometimes when we go to the doctor, we don't think about those things, but it, it absolutely matters how you're being treated at your doctor's office. And that's why I say sometimes friends and family are really good to ask because you have that relationship. You know, if they've had a good experience, they probably will. I really stress to everyone to take what you read online with a grain of salt. I have personally had an, a horrible experience with a doctor that had 55 star reviews. Wow. And then, you know, I've had a great experience with 
my primary care provider, I don't, I think people just stopped writing reviews about him, but I adore him and he doesn't have the greatest reviews. I, people are very opinionated when it comes to their health. So when you read things online, just be aware of that. Always take it with a grain of salt. Now that's a really good point because I know when I've read reviews, even I I also try to look at the way that they're written because Mm -hmm. if it's subjective and there's not clear examples or like, like in the fertility world, you know, if the doctor got them pregnant, they're the best doctor. If the doctor (laughs) didn't, they're the worst doctor. Yes. And example, (laughs) right. Like that's a fairly black and white, you know, and so it's, it's really hard to fully assess how to know who the good doctors are. And they're starting to like, I've even researched with the different diseases I have on my website for the, the ones where I trust the information. And if there isn't, I qualify and say, this is so hard to assess. This is the best we mm-hmm. can do. Like I just qualify Cause it's hard to figure out how do you rate a doctor generally and for specific conditions. It is. And the other thing that I want to stress too, is if you have a poor experience and you feel that it's within your means to say something, write a letter directly to the doctor. Don't, they don't read the reviews, you know, like the only write a, write a letter to the health system, to the doctor's office. So that, you know, hopefully change can happen that way. I, I encourage people to, to do that and to consider that, because I do think that that's one way to help, um, with change. One of the things I also have to react to is your statement around if your doctor's rushing well, (laughs) I have many comments on this as well. (laughs) So, I mean, now with the way health insurance is, you know, covering doctor fees, the doctors now have to see more patients, which has yeah. now created a rush, which has now impacted our healthcare. Absolutely. So huge downstream impact. Yeah. So, okay. So what do we do? Do we tell the doctor, so, sorry, no, I know you're getting paid so $20. I have solutions. This is exactly <laughs> what I have solutions for. So okay. there's a couple of things here. I have a couple of statistics that will make your stomach turn. Um, the first statistic is uh, doctors spend about eight to 12 minutes with each patient. Uh, The second statistic, in my opinion, is even worse. So you have about 23 seconds, seconds before your doctor tries to, well, it feels like you're being cut off, but they refer to it as redirecting. So when you walk into your doctor's office and they ask you, you know, like, how are you doing today? What brings you in today? You have 23 seconds to get that message across. So I want to really highlight that you have such an unlimited amount of time with your doctors. So this is actually one of my biggest tips when I, when I talk to people, this is why it's so important to have expectations for your doctor's appointments. And it's also why it's so important to prepare for your doctor's appointments. So when I talk about expectations, say you haven't been to a doctor in a long time and you have a laundry list of problems, throw that laundry list away. Focus on what, and this is how I typically put it, focus on what keeps you up at night. What worries you most about your health? Um, And make sure that you're thinking through, okay, what exactly do I want? Do I want, am I going in for a diagnosis? Am I going in for medication? Am I 
going in for a referral, if I need a referral, what do I want out of this doctor's appointment and be very specific and think about it before you go in. Um, the other thing too, is if you go in with a laundry list, a lot of people don't realize that that chief complaint, that primary reason that you're going in is also how doctors bill. So getting them to focus on other problems when it's just, it's complicated. So what I do recommend to people is if you do have more than one problem, talk to your doctor about that. Tell them, you know, like this is my primary concern for today, but I want to make sure that you know that I have other problems. You can also ask when you call to make your appointment, if they can do a double appointment, sometimes that is possible. It's worth asking, but go in with the expectation that you are only going to have time to talk about one or possibly two things that are going on. The other tip, as I mentioned, is preparing. And when I talk about preparation, one of the top things is to really think through your symptoms. So write down what's been going on so that you feel you feel confident in talking about it, but also going to what you're saying, Georgie, make sure that, um, you know, you make your list. And when you're talking about symptoms, make sure you say, okay, this is when it started. This is what makes it better. This is what makes it worse. Um, make sure that you, you list out, you know, your symptoms and, and what's been going on and how long it's been going on. Um, so that you feel prepared and then you write down your questions as well. The other tip that I give when you're actually with your doctor is, you know, if they, if they do cut you off, um, one of my favorite recommendations is to just remind the doctor that it took a lot for you to be there. It, it helps to bring and redirect the doctor back to you. And it also acknowledges that they have a lot going on too, not everyone is an expert at everything. I will tell you from, again, personal experience in the books I've read and the people that I've interviewed, food, for example, has a huge impact mm. on our health. And like I did the AIP diet, thanks to Amy Raup's book, Body Belief. And I did not realize I lived with this baseline anxiety every day. And I'm like, that that's what I do every day. And doctors are not nutritionists. No, I mean, they can't be trained oh. on everything. So now like, okay, let's assume. I have a friend that would kiss you right now. Oh. <laughs> so let's assume, okay, so let's play this out. So there's the how to talk, but then how to listen to the doctor and how to deal with the complexity of figuring out what's going on. So let's say you go in and you have these symptoms. What if a lot of it is diet? Doctors are not necessarily going to say, what are you eating? They may, some may, some don't. Tell us what you're so seeing true. about what they're saying. The doctors are saying to you about how all of the things we do impact our health and everyone is different as to how they're impacted and why. I have a sheet for people to take their medical history and uh, another one for uh, medication history, and but it includes supplements. One thing that I do encourage, but this is not answering your question directly, I admit this. I, I think that if holistic medication is important to you, you need to find a doctor who's going to work with you because there are so many out there now. But well, I know you were saying you had the list and yeah, you do have the list okay. and you should tell your doctor if you're taking supplements. And I think, again, this is about this is this is going to take uh, change on, again, both sides of providers and patients. So patients need to know, like, well, to ask questions about how 
how does diet impact X, Y, Z? That's a great question to ask a doctor, but like you're saying, and I have a very good friend who is a registered dietitian and she would kiss you because doctors don't understand diet and, and food. So yeah, it's a really complicated. What about the doctor's perspective? So you, you teach both. So tell us what they tell you about what they would love to see from the patients or what's hard for them um, in a you know, day-to-day basis. Because I think it's really important to understand their world and the pressures that they're under to help us. You know, doctors went into medicine for a reason. They care. And not all doctors are perfect. Absolutely not. But you find that in any field. I've been really lucky since I founded how to talk to your doctor to be connected to such incredible Mm -hmm. physicians. And most of them are very supportive of my work because if a patient comes in prepared and a patient comes in knowing how to describe their symptoms and knowing that, you know, we're probably not going to be able to talk about the laundry list, they can get more accomplished. Something else that I haven't mentioned yet is sometimes people are, you know, think, oh, if we lived in a perfect medical system, you wouldn't need how to talk to your doctor. You wouldn't need this project or program that I'm, I'm working on. But I, I really push back on that. I think even if we lived in a perfect medical system, you still need to know how to describe what you're feeling and your symptoms. And you should still be proactive about your health and asking questions that you have about medications. One of the things that I've just been hearing examples such as with your medical records, right? So Mm. if you are someone who moves around a lot, like for example, you know, when you're in college, you may be in a different state, you know, you may move around a lot for your job, whatever it is. And having those medical records, but I've become fascinated with the types of things to keep. And I'd love your perspective on how to track this because there's not only how to track it, but also what to track. And unfortunately, electronic medical records across different hospital systems, doctor's offices don't talk to each other, uh, which is frustrating. I know many have been trying to solve for that, but like, I'll give you an example of why this is so important. I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, an expert on cervical cancer and HPV can lead to that. And there's two types of HPV. And so she had said, if you're a really savvy patient, you will carry your medical records with you and not only know that you tested positive, but which one, because that can help your doctor determine your risk level for cervical cancer. And I was like, whoa, like I would never have thought to capture something like that. And quite honestly, I'll even admit, I get the records from the last doctor. And I don't know if that doctor sends all the records, their records. I've never really tracked it. You know, we're all busy. You can be diagnosed up to 90% faster if you have your medical history. Really? Also family history is very, very important if you can have Um, I really encourage people. I have a family medical history list that you can talk to your family. What I typically say to people about medical records is try to keep them and try to get them as you go through the system, especially if you're going for me, my experience, I had severe uh, lower back and hip pain. And so every time I went to a new doctor, I would request the medical records um, and just kept them with me. I have a folder with them all. And you should, you should keep all your medical records. However, it's like you said, most of us don't have that. Uh, But what I encourage people to do is if you can ask for, you know, you 
ask for those medical records if, if you can, but then start doing it wherever you're, wherever you are at this point, start requesting your medical records, especially if you, you move or switch doctors, um, take those with you and ask for copies. I also really want to stress it is your right to have access to your medical records. The other thing I've become fascinated by, and I think this episode is getting released after the one on vulvodynia, but there we were talking about the tailbone. So like Mm. this goes to what do you track? Apparently like with this specific doctor, they ask about your tailbone. So I fell skiing and I didn't know this, but my tailbone is in the shape of an L and I was having hip issues for years. I've had x-rays, I've gone to PT, nothing helped. And through an accident, I happened to mention to someone um, that I fell skiing because she was like, your tailbone is in the shape of an L. Did you ever break it? And I'm like, but I never went to the hospital. I just had a big bruise. I never thought anything about it. Then it's the, what we don't even think about telling our doctors. So like keeping track of all these little things is, is so important. And like you said, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I I think it's a lot, what would be your main tip? Let's do one for patients and one for doctors. Cause what I'm finding (laughs) the clinicians also listen to the podcast and find it really helpful in getting to understand patient needs. So let's do one tip for each. Okay. So my tip for patients will always be to trust yourself. If something feels wrong, don't let it go. I think for providers really just listening. I think it's the same for, you know, me as a public health professional, when I'm working with a new community or a new patient, or I have to listen, really making sure that we listen and we ask questions with sincerity. Thank you so much, Christy. Now, the last question I always like to end with is, what is your greatest hope for women's health? My hope for women's health. Wow. Uh, What a great question. I hope that women receive the care that they deserve in a timely fashion. And this would really mean an overhaul in so many parts of our healthcare system, making sure that all women have access to health insurance, making sure that all providers trust women's health experiences and their symptoms. And also that, as I've mentioned before, that women trust themselves to be their best experts. So I love this question, and and that is my hope for our future and women's health in general. 